the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Welcome to Worldview Media Podcast. This is episode eight. Is that right? Episode eight? Sure. I, th- I think that's right. <laughs> is that right or is that not right? Man. Time flies. That's all I know. Okay. Episode eight. And uh, by uh, request of one of our younger listeners, we are going to review the amazing Spider-Man, the first... Yay! now on worldview media podcast we review popular media using the biblical covenant as a lens we're trying to discern what sort of worldview is being preached to us and we're also trying to pick up hints and tips for creatively minded christians looking to take dominion in the entertainment field so let me introduce my fellow podcasters. My name is Gordon Runyon, and with me in studio is a woman who is always mindful that with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> my wife Joyce. Hello, Joyce. Hello. And our regular partner, middle daughter Jordan, couldn't uh, make the podcast tonight, so we've got our oldest daughter... And uh, coincidentally, she spent several summers as a tour guide for the Oscorp uh, <laughs> industry. Yep. And okay. so this is Carmen. Hello, Carmen. Hi. <laughs> no, that's good. And so uh, we'll just dive in, talk about what what worked for you in this movie and if there were things that didn't work for you uh we kind of start out kind of general mom what do you think about this movie well for me i think you know it's spider-man right and so we all go in with these i know who spider-man is but i really had to kind of suspend that and just go into the movie like well this is a movie i'm gonna see what's gonna happen because if you go in saying, oh, I know who Spider-Man is, you might be like, this isn't Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> so if you just kind of suspend those things, then I think that's good. Now, Carmen, you didn't say um, she's a communications major. She's got her master's degree, which also happened to be in the uh, superhero genre. <laughs> so yeah. she really is a... She's like our expert. She's our expert correspondent today yeah um, i'm a big nerd <laughs> all right uh well mom i kind of felt the same way that uh i honestly the first time we watched the movie i didn't like it very much just because it was different and, and uh they took some liberties with the origin story and stuff like that and and it kind of bothered me, but on this second listen, we didn't talk about it, 
but I made the same commitment. I'm just going to watch it as a movie and yeah. <laughs> and try to take it for what it is. And, and I have to admit, I liked it a lot better yeah. that way. And on the second watch, I thought it was actually better. And in fact, I've decided, I think that where they changed the origin story a little bit, I think they changed it for the better. I think they injected more drama with... Uh, with his past? Right, with yeah. his parents being caught up in some kind of conspiracy and yeah, with this evil umbrella corporation that, you know, they had that theme running through it. And, and I thought that managed to... You know, now the little boy, Peter Parker, he may be in trouble right off the bat, you know. and Yeah. And so I really kind of thought, as far as drama goes, that that was a good thing to do. Kind of introduce bad guys right off. And... Yeah. Well, Carmen might disagree with our origin type of story. What do you say, Carmen? I, I kind of do. Um, well, there's a, there is a comic book. I don't know exactly what it is or who wrote it, I'm a terrible nerd, but there is a comic book where there is stuff with Richard Parker being involved in like a conspiracy, um, and that they go missing and all this stuff, and Peter Parker has to go and like find out his origin story. Um, so that there is something in there, it's not the original, original story, it's something that kind of happened to more uh, modernize the character, and I think that's really a lot of what happened in, um, in this movie. Uh, so from my first watch, I really did like this movie a lot because um, I think it brought kind of the Spider-Man character into into kind of more modern terms. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, when we watched the Tobey uh, Maguire movie where he's, you know, he's a, a stereotypical nerd, you watch this one and uh, Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker is, uh, he's not a nerd, he's a, he's a nobody. You know, nobody notices him, nobody cares. Yeah. Um, and I thought <laughs> a lot of the things that they did to connect him that kind of identity uh, really kind of adds to Spider-Man too. You know that the that he's a skateboarder. You know it makes more sense for a skateboarder order to go into kind of the more parkour stuff. It lends itself into the web swinging. Whereas you know Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man really doesn't have any reason to start thinking about oh maybe I should jump off of things except for you know why not let's just see if that happens. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. A lot of people I've heard like, well, he's not really a nerd. He's not really, you know, the guy that nobody likes. But he he is. He's kind of invisible. And when that one girl comes up to him in the hall and he's like, hey, what are you doing on Friday? He's like, uh, you're talking to me? And, and then it's like, <laughs> right. I want you to take a picture for me. <laughs> you know, so I agree with you that it just it really lends itself to to be more modern and still have the, the Spider-Man story there. Yeah, well, I was thinking about it, too, in, like, in, uh, in kind of more today's terms, that that's, that's something that's cool, is, you know, to be, to be really intelligent, to have that kind of, you know, that, oh, I can, I can make apps, or I can program this, I've got, like, all this fast track on technology, you know, that's something that makes you, makes you cool, you know, you want to be the next person to start Facebook or whatever, um, so I think kind of removing him a little bit from that, you know, Makes him makes it a little bit more believable that yeah, this kid not really got anything special going on, even though he's obviously like very smart as if you later on in the movie. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying that uh, that they didn't just create that out of whole cloth; that there is kind of an alternate 
comic series that introduces those sorts of things. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Uh, was there anything in the in the plot itself or the story that you didn't like, or didn't? Um, there were there were a couple of questions like the you, you know you told me to look out for plot holes and I found a couple that I was uh, I was a little bit confused about. Um, well, the big thing in the movie is that you know uh, they're trying to find this cure for. Uh, Norman Osborn, and they tell Norman Osborn can't die, and we're all going to lose our heads. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, you know, if Norman Osborn dies, then who's going to be in charge of, like, making sure that you guys pay for it, you know? That, that if he's the big, the big bad guy of the series, you know, and he has to stay alive no matter what, if he dies, then where's, where does that come from anymore, you know? Oh. Not, not anything you can do. Yeah, and he was really kind of invisible through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah like, I know some of that gets touched on in the second movie, but um, the really sad thing about this series was that it was building up to be like a, I think at least three parts or, or something like that. So that last part never gets made. We never actually figure out the whole overarching story going on with this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was kind of left... I'm sure it was by design, but there were a lot of unanswered questions at the end of it. And I think they fully intended to answer them. They may have in part two. I don't remember part two, but like uh, the the evil Oscorp group was obviously going to be more and more wicked. There wasn't really a payoff in this movie for that setup and. Uh, so yeah. maybe that does get more resolved as we go forward. Yeah, and then the other thing that I just had, like, I was just kind of like, why are you doing this sort of thing? But um, in the kind of the climactic part of the film where, uh, you know, Spider-Man's chasing after his bad guy and stuff, but the cops are, like, splitting their resources between, you know, Spider-Man and the lizard, and I was like, you know... If I was standing there and I was faced with a lizard and I was faced with Spider-Man, I'd be more concerned about the giant lizard that's, you know, mauling people than this one dude in looking in his heart. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd agree wow. with that. I thought uh, the police commissioner's... Uh, Directive. His hatred of Spider-Man was pretty irrational almost from the yeah. get-go. But I, yeah. I think you... I think that's realistic. I mean, whenever there's anybody... <laughs> that the police think is doing their job better than they are. You know, they don't take it well. Yeah, that's probably right. And they say, well, you know, this guy's a madman. You can't trust him. You can't trust somebody in a mask. And, you know, who can you trust? Can you trust somebody with a badge? You know, I don't know. <laughs> right. So right. Uh, I really liked seeing the Peter Parker as a child and, yeah. and kind of seeing good. some of that background with him and, getting a little bit more of the relationship with his uh, aunt and uncle because you, yeah. you don't see that in the, you know, the the other series of Spider-Man movies and you don't know, you know, how old was he when he went there? Was he an older kid? Was he a younger kid? And um, so that was, that was kind of neat to see him, that he really was a young kid and he spent quite a bit of his, you know, childhood growing up with people who weren't his parents. Yeah. I, I also like just all the times that he, like, he screwed up with his powers. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know where he's in a bathroom and he just destroys his bathroom or, you know, he catches a football and throws it too hard. I think that's, that's first of all, it's just too, like, that makes way more sense than, like, you know, in the first series, you see, you see him and he's basically got it under control in, like, a scene. Yeah. You know? Right, right. That was... That was a dumb scene, though, when the football hits the upright of the goalpost and bends the goalpost. I mean, physics-wise, <laughs> there's just no way the football would just explode and and all that. But it was just kind of funny. Yeah, or the one that he's in the—is it the subway? And he's yeah. like touching stuff and pulling off people's clothes and just like, oh man, I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on yeah. here. <laughs> obviously just like, man, I'm having a terrible day. And at the same time, he's like beating all these people, beating all these people. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. it's just a hard day for me. And I thought, too, when he, because he, I don't know, did he steal the little webbing packets that, you know, that kind no, of made more. Them. What? He ordered them off, on, like, he was researching the company and he ordered them from the company. So he, like, uh, bought all of his stuff for his costume, like. And, you know, that kind of made sense, more sense to me than just, like, you know, suddenly I'm slinging webs right. off my, yeah. my wrist. Out of my so, wrist. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of, I, I kind of liked that. I thought, oh, well, that's kind of yeah. realistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this Peter Parker versus the other one, like, he seems much more, much more human to me, much more realistic, like, the way he responds to stuff, you know, like, when he gets his web slinger to work right, he just has that, like... should get on with the five-point covenant. The first point in the covenant model is transcendence. And usually we talk about four things to to uh, display transcendence in the Bible, and that's creation, redemption, revelation, and law-giving. And like most movies, uh, this movie is obviously kind of... Uh, kind of assuming the truth of Darwinian naturalistic evolution. And uh, so evolution comes the closest to being the creator in terms of transcendence here. But uh, there was also, like, also like most, uh, most people and most movies that assume evolution, uh, there was also a little bit of schizophrenia because... It's also a very moralistic movie. It assumes naturalistic evolution, but uh, also wants to give out a bunch of uh, rules about how to be moral and how to be good. And it kind of seemed to me like uh, that was a major uh, theme was that Peter needed to be good. and And so you have that kind of uh, dualistic kind of contradictory view of transcendence there. That's what I thought. Well, you know, for, for me looking at it, you know, some movies I see it really clearly and I see it really quickly. 
that okay this is what is the transcendent thing yeah. here and um I, I guess I kind of agree with you that I see science as the you know the driving force there but it isn't just science because it's man's manipulation of science so it's science but it's kind of the people that are smarter than science that can fix it you know I want to fix everybody so that oh. there's no you know there's nobody who's deformed like me there's nobody who's missing a limb like me because right. obviously that was a mistake so I'm going to fix <laughs> all these things using science because I'm better than just what happens naturally. I can fix all this stuff. So for me, it was a combination, but more, again, back on the person that the scientist was over science. Yeah, and I think historically that's the way Darwinianism winds up working. As soon as scientists believe that we're the you know, we're the top of the evolved uh, line. The next step is for them to to seek to kind of be in charge of the process itself. You saw that in World War Two with the Nazi experiments. You know, they mm -hmm. were they were big evolutionists and and they were big into let's see how we can manipulate this for our uh, purposes. And I think you just see that all the time. I think that's right. I think that is pretty common. All right. So the second point of the covenant is hierarchy. And we start to talk about who best represents that, whatever it is that we pinpointed under transcendence. And I was thinking about the moralistic function that we see in this movie. And to me, Uncle Ben then kind of represents yeah. that. And, yeah. and, and then toward the end of the movie, Peter himself kind of maybe reluctantly kind of takes that role on too. He becomes kind of a symbol of of that uh, moralistic impulse, and you you really find this with atheists all the time and naturalists that you know they don't believe in God. They believe everything happened for no reason, and and yet they're still willing to pronounce that this over here is evil and this over here is good and and heaven help you if you violate their standards of right and wrong and and stuff like that which is really contradictory and uh self-defeating but you know there's uncle ben and he's constantly trying to indoctrinate peter in the way and mm -hmm. and uh you know show him the way he should go and 
you know, don't take revenge, and uh, they never did say the line about with great power comes great responsibility, but I felt like they really wanted to, or, uh... Yeah, I was wondering if that was, like, under copyright or something. <laughs> right. They were kind of, <laughs> they were working their way around it a lot of the time. So for me, I felt like Uncle Ben kind of represents that just kind of maybe a common Americanism sort of apple pie uh, patriotic morality or or something like that and and then Peter like I say kind of becomes that icon at the end I think that's right. That's why I was thinking he kind of he kind of moves into that moral icon role reluctantly, or yeah. feels himself forced to go there. I think with this one, the big point is like the big point of shift for him um, is you know where he says you know I had to save them from the lizard sort of thing because up until that point he was really just trying to get revenge for Ben, which oh, was actually like right. against the rule. You know that you have to take like it's. Technically, he's taking responsibility for it, but he's doing it the wrong way. And then, you know, this other bigger responsibility that he has comes along, and he has to take care of that, too. Right. Right. Did you have anything on representation, Ma? Um, well, I really saw Dr. Connor. Oh, as yeah, representing the, yeah. the evolutionary thing, or the science thing. And it hints at his dad being a part of this oh, stuff, yeah. too. You know, yeah. that somehow... His dad was doing some things he probably shouldn't have been <laughs> right. doing. And so uh, you see his partner continuing on with that, and then he doesn't contact the family. He's supposed to have been a really good friend, you know. So, um, And, of course, he's the one that's driving the, we've got to do, you know, we, we have to continue on with this. And if we need a human trial, it'll be me. And, <laughs> and even though he really does turn into a monster, he sees that as a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like the, the fact that the reason he uses it on himself is because, you know, he doesn't want the bad Oscorp people to go and use it on disabled veterans. You know, that he's trying to save people while he's doing this. And he starts, like, he's trying to save people by doing this research to begin with. But yeah. that's the problem is that people, you can't save somebody, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But then you even see that shift in the movie because then he's just going to expose everybody to this. And <laughs> right. then everybody can be great like he is, you know? Yeah. And, um, that's that's an interesting concept that I'm a monster, but I want you to be a monster with me. Right. And I really kind of see that in our society that whatever your sin is that you <laughs> you caress and love and, you know, makes you happy just embrace that <laughs> and 
right. and be a monster. <laughs> as long as you're the approved kind of monster. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's interesting to me. You know, you go back to that, too, that sometimes it tells Peter, like, you're not going to stop me. You know, you can't, you can't stop me from doing this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that in there as well that, you know, can't, doesn't want to be uh, kind of saved from what he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, that, yeah. that he's completely fine with it and reacts in anger at the idea of being told, you know, that this is wrong, that this is something we need to, to stop. And, like, Peter tells them, like, when they're fighting the school, he's like, let's talk it out. You know, let's just talk. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to fight. We don't have to uh, end up killing one person at least uh, with Gwen's dad. And I don't know yeah. how many people that we maybe didn't see on screen. Yeah, and yeah. you've got to think there were more just because of, like, the bridge scene and, yeah. you know, the officers that he's turned over to be lizard people, and, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's cool. So in the third uh, point of the biblical covenant, we talk about ethics, and the way we like to focus in on that is to pick out strong moral crisis that our characters go through and and look at how they resolve those. Did you have anything, Mom? Moral crisis? You know, when Peter finds the hidden file in his dad's briefcase, it kind of leads him on a path to Oscorp. And he's he's having some problems there with how far can I go and look into this and check into this and what are my responsibilities at home and you know there's this guy who is my dad's friend and you know he seems okay maybe I need to be doing things with him and kind of neglecting what he's supposed to be doing at home with the, the people who really have taken care of him and and that's a for me I see that as a problem for him and how does he resolve that and and ultimately it winds up with him becoming Spider-Man. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. So it was, would you relate that to to anything under transcendence? I mean, is that the way he dealt with that? Is that an outgrowth of the thematic stuff that we've talked about? In terms of it just being that kind of general morality or or... You know what I'm saying? Do you, did you see it as a break with the theme, or a, or an expression of it, or? Well, that's the whole reason that he's there, going to see what he can find out more, and because that was a moral crisis for him. You know, he obviously cared for his parents. Oh yeah, yeah. And they just left him. Right. You know, and I I assume they planned to come back and get him at some point, but they they didn't, and they but didn't he does... explain anything to him either. He does launch out to be the hero himself. You know, he doesn't enlist anybody's help in trying to get these things figured out or, you know, it's yeah. he's going to be the hero and, and do whatever it takes. The moral crisis for me that I found interesting was Gwen Stacy's dad and yeah. having to change his mind about Spider-Man and about it it really demanded that he change his mind about his own job and if i could say this i think that he he held his own job and he held police officers in general on almost a worshipful sort of platform hmm. 
And in order to say that Peter wasn't a bad guy and that he was a good guy and that the police should be helping him, that really demanded him kind of turning all that upside down. And uh, so I found that fascinating. To me, that does kind of go along with the theme that Spider-Man's the hero and he's representing, you know, (laughs) apple pie American goodness (laughs) and and you got to get behind him if you're going to be one of the good guys. Well, and then, of course, you also have the the death of Uncle Ben, which is another big issue for him, too. And I think Carmen talked about that with earlier with how he was trying to deal with that. Yeah. that situation. Yeah. Carmen? I think that was probably my biggest moral thing for him in this movie. Because, like, you can see him, like, just kind of shutting down um, yeah. throughout this. Because, kind of his response to, in that moment when, you know, he lets this guy get away, you know, he turns his back on uh, basically the rule of, this universe in this movie is, you know, you have to take responsibility, you know, if you see something, you do something, you know. Um, so he turns his back on that rule, and then and immediately afterwards he's punished for it by his uncle dying. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, very good. The, the rest of the movie is him gradually assuming more and more responsibility for things until at the very end of the movie he's responsible for, you know, all of New York he's responsible for keeping Gwen alive and he's responsible for, you know, making sure his aunt's okay and, like, all of this other stuff. And he just assumes more and more responsibility in a way of trying to, I guess, atone for that or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, try and prove that he's, he's you know, going to make Ben proud or something like that. Right. He's definitely seeking some kind of redemption there for sure. I like your thought, yeah. though, about uh, him kind of instantly receiving punishment for not obeying the the big rule. Yeah, but I also thought it was kind of weird because, like, if that's the rule, then then the punishment for it doesn't match. Because, like, Ben, you know, he sees somebody, you know, says, hey, stop that guy. He stops the guy and he dies. Oh, right, you know, right. Like, immediately. And, like, uh, uh, the captain who's like, you know, I have, I have to go help uh, I have to go help Spider-Man, so he needs help. I'm going to go help him. And then he dies eventually, you know, like, pretty much right afterwards as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. So the only place where the rule is applied consistently is in the case of Spider-Man. Spoiler. <laughs> so you've really kind of, you've made a transition into our fourth, our fourth section of the covenant, which is sanctions or how our ethical choices are rewarded or punished. And so we've actually, you've actually hit on some really good stuff there with that. And, and generally we also want to look at how the characters in the story were rewarded or punished and uh, for their actions. So, like you said, Ben is 
rewarded inconsistently. So is the chief. But I kind of wonder if the chief's death is not offset by the redemption that he accomplishes by, you know, changing his mind and getting on the side of the hero and stuff like that. You know, but that also kind of happens with the lizard himself, though. Right at the end, he kind yeah. of he kind of gets back on the right track and. <laughs> So he is punished for his actions, but that's kind of mitigated by the fact that he's repentant and sorry for what he's done. And kind of, at least in the final scene after the credits, he's he looks like he's determined not to do that again, even when he's presented with it. Well, it was inconsistent because you see, uh, is it Flash, you know, the bully in the yeah. high school? Yeah, whatever happened to him, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, that, that was an interesting story arc. Kind of so, yeah. He starts off in the movie that, you know, him and Peter obviously don't get along. And then, you know, after Ben dies, you know, Flash comes and tries to talk to Peter. And he's like, you know, like, are you doing okay? So, like, Flash reaches out to him. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the movie where, you know, Peter's obviously, like, kind of happier and, like, re recovering and stuff like that. Flash comes up and he, like, you know, grabs him and kind of, like, knows he's in playfully, you know, like, that that relationship has obviously changed between the two of them, that, like, somewhere, somewhere behind the scenes that Flash has decided that Peter's going to be his friend or something like that. Somebody's gotten some maturity. Yeah. Well, and, Flash, and maybe that's well, between him and Peter. You do see a shift in their relationship, but you don't see him getting in trouble for, you know, making the guy eat the vegetables, hanging him upside down, or, yeah. you know kicking peter around or anything well peter peter gives him what he deserves you know in terms of like he tells uncle ben he deserved it you know when i when he humiliated him and, and all that <laughs> all right the last point of the covenant is succession and we're asking about the future and and this movie kind of makes that easy because it was obviously meant to be continued and so we have several storylines that have yet to be resolved and in fact i was getting angry at the end because here <laughs> here come the credits and uh and peter still hasn't found the guy that shot uncle ben and yeah. and finally we get the scene where we see the the picture of the guy on peter's bulletin board and you know that's to let us know he's still he's still a he priority the other thing that was making me mad is that there wasn't any payoff for the Oscorp conspiracy, but then the bad guy shows up in the lizard cell at the at the mm -hmm. very end, and mm -hmm. and and you can tell oh they really are planning something, and and so that mitigated my anger. But <laughs> I was about to be <laughs> upset because here's these storylines mm -hmm. you set up and and they're not resolved. So looking forward to the second movie for some of that stuff. I thought some of the things that kind of, um, kind of set up, carried over into, like, the future and stuff like that with, uh, Stacy's death, you know, the Captain Stacy's death. Yeah. Um, where he tells them, you know, that people are gonna, people, are, you're gonna make enemies and people are gonna come after you and things, people are gonna get hurt and stuff like that. But that seemed, um, it wasn't like a, like, a, oh, you know, tell my family I love them or anything like that. That that was a, that was a passing of a torch that happened. It wasn't a, you know, a warrior's last lament or anything like that. He was like, you're, you, this is your job now. Oh, you yeah, know, very good. Fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ben gets in the rules 
Stacy's the one, Stacy's death, you know, the captain of the police. Yeah. Passes on responsibility to Peter. So in the next movies, you know, anytime Peter's doing something, we can be like, oh yeah, Captain Stacy, you know, gave him his blessing before he died to go and be a vigilante. Yeah, very good. That's that's very much what biblical succession is about in terms of how do we continue this covenant and how do we make sure these things move on and and so you have elders ordaining elders and and things like that and and here you have a guy who has envisioned himself as the protector of the city. He's obviously like you say passing that torch on to Spider-Man. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but that's real good. That's that's very covenant minded there. So I like that. That's a neat insight. The other thing, like I really like, I really like Gwen in this movie, because um, I think she's a she's an example of kind of following the rules throughout the movie. You know that she's very, you know, both of them step in to like stop Flash from beating people up, but yeah. Gwen does it successfully. You know. <laughs> And that Gwen is the best in the class, and that whenever we see Gwen, she's not, you know, faltering or stuttering or anything like that, but she's very, you know, steady in what she's doing, and that when the lizard's coming to the building, you know, Peter's like, you need to get out, and she's like, I need to evacuate people, you know? Yeah. Kind of a succession with that, that you can see her, she's immediately sort of ingrained herself into this life that he's in, and that she tells him, you know, that I'm... I'm used to having to worry about my dad coming home and not, you know, yeah. not making that. So you can see that she's going to be a big part in the future, which, which she is, you know. But it didn't look like it at the end because he had made a promise. Yep. Yeah, but, and two days later he's hinting that the promise probably won't last. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, we're uh, we're running out of time. We're well, going to need to close this off, up. Before we finish off, I forgot yeah. one thing that I really did. Okay. appreciate about this movie and you know Carmen's talked about how she thought it was really great him getting his powers and messing with all that and I really liked that you know he came home beat up so much <laughs> you know because he just he looked bad <laughs> and he was doing all this stuff and um I thought that was another realistic thing too that you know walking through the door and black eyes and busted lip and you know just a mess <laughs> so i thought that was really really realistic i don't remember that with the other spider-man movies where he was coming home no i think that's right but i think that actually kind of bothered me a little bit because i think one of spider-man's powers you can correct me carmen you're the superhero expert but i i thought spider-man had kind of a mild uh regeneration not nearly as fast as wolverine or the hulk but I thought he had a super fast kind of healing thing. So when he'd come home all bruised and bloodied, it uh, it was a little bit confusing to me. I was thinking he should have already been all healed up from that. Okay. Um, I don't know if he does have a healing factor of any kind for sure. I know that I know that's one of the reasons that he's a really popular uh, character is that he does, you know, get beat up a lot, but he keeps, you know, getting back up. Yeah, he's very um, durable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's but he's just out there and he keeps going at it. And that's why everybody loves Spider Man. That's why he's a good hero for New York. Because <laughs> he gets beat up a lot. Yeah. yeah. If you knock him down, he's just gonna get up and do it again. But right. I don't think there's spiders that have rejuvenating powers like that. I mean, if that's yeah. that doesn't even go with the 
But I, I think in the comics he does, because he really can get, he really can get the mess beat out of him, and and he'll still be okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Get back to us on that Spider-Man's regenerative powers. So we'll report back in another time. Well, uh, we should go ahead and close it up. So, Carmen, thank you for joining us. You really brought um, some good information, a good perspective, and it's just always good to talk to you. So this has been a lot of fun for me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We'll keep you in our back pocket as a substitute (laughs) superhero correspondent for Worldview Media Podcast. And we'll close this up and say we'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us. And always be mindful, as we say, to keep it forefront in your minds that we're people who are supposed to be applying the Word of God to every area of our lives, including how we entertain ourselves. And it's time for Christians to take dominion over those things. So thank you and God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.